Good afternoon and welcome to the Legal Eagle Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call into the show today, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. I'm conveniently located at 904 South Missouri Avenue in Lakeland, which is behind the old Southside Dry Cleaners that's on South Florida Avenue. Today, I've got a special guest with me. His name's Jim Headley. He's been on the show before. Jim, welcome back. I, I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for having me again, Tony. Uh, what we thought we would talk about, and the last time we were here, Jim and I talked a lot about uh, veterans' legal issues and things that they can do for benefits, and we may yet go into that later in the show, but there's much more that's available to veterans that, that they may need if they have a problem or a run-in with the law, so to speak. And that is uh, what we call Veterans Court. Um, Jim has been integrally involved with Veterans Court, but not as a lawyer, as a mentor. Is That's that, correct. Now, now tell everybody what a mentor is. Basically, uh, every person admitted in the Veterans Court is assigned a mentor to work with. It's someone basically to help guide them through the process, get, you know, explain how the court process works, uh, when they have to get evaluations, and just pretty much someone to, to, you know, give a shoulder to listen. Now, generally, Veterans Court is associated with criminal cases, I believe. Is there anything outside of the criminal field that they deal with? Not to my knowledge. Okay. So it's when somebody's been criminally charged in a case uh, that it, it's potentially referable over to Veterans Court. It has to go through the state attorney's office to get there? Basically, whenever someone has a... An, Running with the law. Uh, they have to have a, a diagnosis. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be service connected with the Veterans Administration, but they do have to have a provable diagnosis. And the veterans caseworker, the Veterans Administration, has someone assigned. Um, that person, Jared Miller, is the one here in Polk County, would confirm whether or not the veteran has the, the requisite disability. Okay. And when we say a requisite disability, to qualify for Veterans Court. Correct. Uh, and it's still something, though, for purposes of getting referred, does the state attorney's office have any input on that? Uh, they can express whether they object or don't object, and it's up to the judge whether or not the, the individual will come in. And if they object, um, I mean, is there how, what are, is there any sort of percentages on that, or it's really on a case-by-case basis? It's a case-by-case, and it depends on what the charge is and what the diagnosis is. Quite okay. frankly, if it's significant, like, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and someone has a, a light break, not really violent, no real injuries. Okay. And now it, it needs to be somewhat causally connected to whatever the charge is. It would make, I, I believe, doesn't it? Yes. Um, so PTSD wouldn't necessarily help somebody with a DUI-type case coming into Veterans Court. It could. It could. Yeah, I mean, it, the state it, of, it would have to show, though, that connection to it. Correct. And I know this jurisdiction, I know I'm familiar with Veterans Court in Polk County as well as Hillsborough. I know the state here has a running objection to DUIs coming in Veterans Court. Okay. So they can basically preclude a DUI from coming in. Yes, sir. Um, not much they can do about that one then, but or, or that anybody could do about that one. But there's others that the court can kind of override the state attorney's office on. Yes, sir. Um. Now, Jim, you have actually been given an award, not just locally, but by the Florida Bar, concerning your pro bono service award hours that you've done on this. Yes, sir. That was last year? It was for 2021. Oh, for 2021. So this it was the award this year, but for maybe last year's activities? Yes. I've been practicing for 17 years, and I, I was a national service officer with the Disabled American Veterans back 
18 years ago, and I've always done pro bono helping veterans get their service-connected compensation. Now, a lot of people, we, we hear the word pro bono kind of thrown around. Tell us what pro bono means. Free. Yeah, you're not charging anybody to do this. I've never charged a brother or sister veteran for any service-connected compensation representation. I do that for free. Now, there's other comp- your representation you may do for a veteran if it's not veterans-related that you would actually charge them at that point. Oh, if it's a criminal case or family law case. I, I usually I call it the veteran's discount bill. I try to give sure. them a little reduction. But as it would relate to this type of work that you're doing with the veterans' court, you don't accept any kind of fee out of it. No, sir. That's also and pro bono. How many hours did you end up, do you think, putting in last year as it would relate to this type of activity? Easily over 200. Okay. And, and I mean, when we factor that out over time period, they say a 40-hour week, that's f- at least five weeks of solid work of nothing, but doing this over a period of a year. A lot of people go, well, that doesn't sound like that. No, that's a lot. I mean, most of us only get a week or two weeks worth of vacation a year, much less anything like this. So you're dedicating at least 10 to 20% of your year to doing this type of stuff. I am, and I'm lucky to have a mentor that actually helps me. He was my supervisor when I worked at the DAV, and he's not retired. Shout out to Ray Rollerson, but he comes over to my office every month Okay. and helps me. And tries to give you some advice maybe on some of the areas. I call it above my pay grade areas, yes. <laughs> um, now, as a mentor, I think you said earlier you're basically trying to tell or help people get through the different parts of what they're going to need to do within this veterans court. Yes, it's it's very overwhelming for those that are in it and not used to the court system and not used to being accused of a crime. Well, and most of them probably have not been involved in the system before. That's correct. Uh, there may be a handful that have come through before, but most of them have, and, and none of them have ever been into the veterans court system before. They wouldn't be there this time. That's my understanding. It's like one crack of the apple. Yeah, and the idea is we'll see if we can fix this and maybe they won't come back. And they sort of call the Veterans Court is like the uh, diversion on steroids. It's a little better. Yeah, and that was part of what I was going to ask you about, and we're going to get into that more after the break. Go ahead and give everybody your contact information, though. Uh, my name is Jim Headley. My brother Scott Headley, known Headley Law in Lakeland, 1906 South Florida, uh, right on South Florida, south of downtown, and the office number is 863-904-5520. You have been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM, and I look forward to going into more of this after the break. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. Uh, To call into the show, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. I've got with me today uh, Jim Headley, who's an attorney here in Lakeland. And we're actually talking about something that we've really never talked about before on this this program, and it's a very important part of our court system here in Polk County. They have similar programs in some other counties. I I know Hillsborough's got a program. Is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, Theirs may be a little different in how it's run, but it's still a veterans court program. Uh, I don't know about Osceola or Orange, but I think they're starting to spread because it is something that's authorized – believe statutorily to do, but it's certainly authorized to be able to be done. Um, And it allows somewhat differential treatment to veterans' cases or to be able to be more case-specific with their cases uh, as to how to help them keep from having recidivism go on. Is that a fair assessment? That is a fair assessment. And the the veterans' court system is, is meant to help a veteran with a bona fide diagnosis that 
to try to help them navigate the system without, you know, ruining their life. They're already dealing with a lot emotionally. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys are coming back from either combat situations or even some some base issues. But there's a lot of PTSD going on. And when we're talking about PTSD, for those of you that don't know what that means, that's post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, but they have other issues that they're dealing with. Sometimes some of these guys go off on a deployment. They come home, and their wife's off with somebody else. And it's a home wrecker for them. Uh, the divorce rate on, on people in, in National Guard duty is ridiculous because of what happens when they get deployed. And it could be a short deployment. Uh, we talk about deployments, and we think 10, 11, 12 months. Not all of them are that long. Some of them can be three, four, six-week type deals when they're dealing with hurricane issues. They can come home, and their lives are turned upside down even after that short of a period of time. They're dealing with issues that, you know, Joe Blow on the street that's working down at one of the auto parts counters would not be having to deal with. Um, and... The VA helps quite a bit. They've got programs, it sounds like, set up themselves to help. And each of these systems is assigned a VA caseworker. Like Jared Miller is the gentleman we have here. He's actually a reservist major in the United States Army. So so they can be able to help assess the need of the individual. And give them structure. Uh, The structure of the Veterans Court, whenever we get into that, you know, if you're testing, depending on what what the... Where if they were just being dealt with through the regular court system, they're going to be put on either regular probation or regular community control with a regular probation officer or a regular community control officer. And a lot of people go, well, that's not regular in itself. If you're in the system, that is the system. And so those officers are not necessarily as in tuned to being able to deal with issues specific to veterans. Is that basically why this court exists? Yes, sir. Uh, this court then is tailored to dealing with veterans' issues because you've got people that are veterans helping to deal with it. They have counselors. Is, Correct. Uh, they have mentors such as yourself. Mentors, social workers, counselors. Uh, and all of it's to help these veterans to succeed while either on probation or in a diversionary-type situation. And try to get to the end of the tunnel without their whole life crashing down completely. Yeah. And because if they do crash, then we end up with bigger problems. And I say bigger problems. They could end up being facing county jail. They could be facing state prison. Suicide. And suicide, the ultimate terminal problem. Or acting out and causing harm to others. Um, so this kind of really, in a nutshell, is a program that was developed to try to help folks. Um, now, earlier I think we did talk about the fact that DUIs are one of the things that the state attorney's office can veto going into this. However, there is a separate DUI and drug diversion court program as well for multiple offender people on DUIs. I'm familiar with it. It's really not what I wanted to talk about today, but it's a separate process to try to help folks not come back after they've had a second or third one. Uh, It's an intensive program where they give them help with specific individual counselors and treatment tailored to the needs of the individual to try to keep them from drinking and driving again. That's not what this program's necessarily about. This program is tailored to, like, batteries, uh, trespasses, uh, theft-related type offenses, but it's still got to be causally connected to whatever disorder they've been diagnosed with. And it provides them with a structure. You know, you have phases one, two, and three. And And that's what I was going to ask you about. Let's talk about phase one. 
that's the first phase they go into once they've entered the program. Yes, sir. And they meet, they go to court every single week in, in Polk County. Uh, judge Stamey is our current veterans court judge. Okay. Now he handles in, he's a County court judge right now, but he's handling both County and circuit court type cases um, at the same time. And they're allowed to do that. We've got, Administrative orders and the Florida Supreme Court's authorized judges to cross over and do things like that. Uh, and, and it's important to have one judge doing it at a time so that there's continuity. Uh, I makes, agree. makes more sense because otherwise you could have one judge one week and then another one the next week and they don't know what's happened the week before. Uh, at least I think Judge Stamey does a pretty good job of keeping notes and, and he actually has a really good memory about people coming in front of him too. Yes, he does. Um, and so he does a really good job with it, and that way he also is very familiar with the rules and what has to occur with each case. He was a former prosecutor, right? Yeah. Uh, and, again, consistency is everything because it gives structure to the case and structure for the veteran, and veterans are used to structure from when they're in the military. And phase one being every week, you know, if they're on drug testing or alcohol testing, and you know, if they, like, say the first couple hearings, say they, they – fail a test, the court will usually give them some time to, to, you know, get up from the fall, try to clean themselves out. Kind of gives them a pep talk. I've seen him do that even in the DUI court section. Yes, sir. Uh, he'll look at him and go, don't, please don't make me put you in jail. Because he doesn't want to do that. He wants them to help themselves. And I'm assuming it's very similar to that within the, the veterans court system. It is. Uh, how long are they usually in phase one, or is that something that can depend on the type of case it is? It depends on both the type of case and also depends on whether or not they, they fail a test or don't get counseling done in time, and it's really up to the judge. You know, the social worker will ask for, you know, an upgrade to phase two and then ultimately want to get to phase three for graduation. Okay. Uh, phase two is one that they go into next after in phase one, and it's presuming they've done well enough to get there. Correct. Otherwise, they never make it to phase two. And then they, they come less frequently. They're, they're about once a month. Okay. Uh, and the theory there is they still need to come in because we're still giving them a structured environment. We want them to stay on track, finish the task that they've been given to, to finish and to complete the treatment that they've been ordered to do. And they've shown the court that they can, you know, try to have success move okay. forward. Um, and again, phase two depends on how long. It takes them to finish up what they need to do to show the court they're ready to go to phase three. Has, do, do people ever get bounced back to phase one from phase two? Uh, yes. In other words, they could go from the once-a-month reporting to the once-a-week reporting and have additional requirements if they mess up. And the good thing is that the system, there's social workers is assigned to every single mentee, and every mentee has a mentor okay. you know, to talk, speak with. And then also you have the veterans social worker, Mr. Miller, so it, it's good. There, there's a lot of resources for them. Now, as a mentor, and not as an attorney, but as a mentor, are you supposed to be available for these people all the time, or is it primarily during business hours? No, they have our cell phone numbers. Okay. Because so, crises occur afternoon, after work, and on the weekends as well. So I was going to say, your personal time probably gets interrupted by somebody quite frequently, I would think. It does. Uh, that includes potentially even late at night. You could get a call and say, I need to talk. It happens. And it's yeah. good to be there. Yeah. And, and it's tough doing that because that does interfere with your time with your wife, your child. Uh, if you're on vacation, I know what that's like because I have clients that do that stuff to me, and I know you do too. But 
I don't. I I've gotten to a point in my life. I have very few clients have my cell phone number, and it's usually only because they're friends of mine to begin with. I do not give it out to the general public because I've really got to keep my mental health to myself, and part of that's just not having people call me all the time. Uh, it's bad enough during the normal business hours. So for you to add that impact to yourself is even taking on what I consider to be almost an overwhelming burden. Um, and I'm sure you have to compartmentalize it somewhat to be able to keep your personal life away from trying to help these folks. And quite frankly, Tony, I was medically retired from the Army, so I didn't do my full four, so this is my way to continue serving. It's not being cute. No, no, no. I understand. Yeah. I got it. And it makes perfect sense, and I, I applaud you for that because um, I, I don't know that I could do what you're doing. I, I used to be part of the Guardian Ad Litem program and, and helping with uh, – some of that, and I can only do one or two cases a year because otherwise it became really taxing. Um, and so you're dealing with the same type of thing only on a much grander scale by trying to do this as a mentor. And I, I again, I'm applauding your efforts on it. It's not something I could do, especially in an unpaid situation. Uh, it's got to be tough to justify after a while, but I know you're doing it, and I'm glad that you're doing it. It's rewarding. It makes me feel good to help. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it had to been huge for the Florida Bar to give you that recognition this year. In fact, when they called the office, I had a message from my secretary, Alicia, call the Florida Bar. And first thing when an attorney gets a message, call the Florida Bar, I thought I was in trouble. Oh, yeah, it's usually not a good thing when you get one of those calls. And so they I, say, oh, we need him to call us back immediately. So I, I called the, the gentleman I was supposed to call, and he says, how's it feel to win the pro bono award? I'm like, I don't know why. Yep. You won it. That's how I found out. Uh, tell everybody again how they can get in touch with you. Uh, Headley Law, 1906 South Florida Avenue, 863-904-5520. Now, you do other stuff other than just veterans type thing. A lot of personal injury. I was an insurance defense attorney before coming to the dark side, they like to say. Yeah. And, and, we, and, and you do an occasional criminal case, too. Occasional um, criminal and occasional family because I have a good mentor named Tony. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you. All righty, folks, you have been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM, and we'll go into more of this stuff after the break. Welcome back to the Legal Eagle Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. I've got a special guest with me today, Jim Headley, who's been on the program before, but we're talking about something different, really, for now at least. We're going to go into some of the old stuff in a little while, but for now... We're talking about something that we've really never gone into at all, but it's a very important part of our uh, court process, and it's called Veterans Court. Uh, it's part of the behavioral health court system, uh, but it, it, it is a specific, a specific or specified uh, branch within it dealing with veterans' issues. Um, and, it, and, Jim, it, it requires you to be a veteran. Yes, either honorably or at least, worst case, generally discharged. But not dishonorable. Yeah. You cannot have a, a dishonorable discharge or you wouldn't qualify for the court. Um, and, and it's basically dealing with criminal-type court actions that are coming through. Uh, but it has to be certain ones. It cannot be like a DUI. That's one of the exemptions that cannot go through it. Well, the state has a standing objection right. to it. But it, I've seen DUIs get, in, get into veterans' court. Really? Okay. It, I didn't know You just have to argue a, around it. Okay, and try to argue that it's directly attributable and, and get the judge to approve doing it. Attributable to some kind of mental, you know, PTSD. Okay. 
but it's difficult to get that pushed through. It is. Um, we've talked about phase one, the re- some of the requirements of it, meaning it's weekly meeting, uh, weekly coming to the courthouse. There's a lot of things you got to do within that part of the process as the defendant. Uh, you get to phase two after you've completed phase one. It's a lot less onerous. You've basically got to go about once a month. And then there's a phase three after that. Leading up to graduation, if you've done everything that they've recommended, classes, counseling, drug testing, negative, stay clean. And just staying clean. That one's very, um, I want to use the word lax. That's not the right way. It's much different than like phase one and phase two, though, because to the extent you've already gotten through the hard part. You're just kind of making it through some time periods, still going through and getting tested and being negative and clean and, and doing the right things. Uh, but it's just a process that you got to get through. I, I tell my mentees, you know, get through this and never come back. You know, yeah, that's the worst. And, and it's perfect for them because it helps them then to overcome challenges that they've had that probably caused them to be in the situation they're in. And it gives them a positive um, interaction with the Veterans Administration because that's so many older veterans especially feel as though the Veterans Administration is not there to help them if you know where to look. Well, and I can imagine it's a real problem because the old VA is different than the new VA. And I, I'm, there's really, I, there was never anything that changed anything. It's changing itself because of the need that it had to do. Uh, your old VA from the 1970s doesn't even vaguely resemble anything that we've got today. I remember whenever I started with the Disabled American Veterans back in 98, 99, you know, you would have veterans from World War II and Korea that never applied for benefits years ahead of time, but now they're in dire straits, and unfortunately they'd have to wait in line. Yeah. Where now you've got mostly Iraq War, uh, Afghanistan, Middle Eastern-type events. There's still some Vietnam veterans around, I'm sure. Uh, That's going to be your older guard guys now is the Vietnam veterans. And I've got a couple cool stories about the Vietnam veterans who basically gave up you know, back in the 70s, they thought the VA didn't want to help them. And there's one particular individual who called me and said there was an X amount of dollars in his, in his checking account. He didn't know what it was for. And he got 100% and he lost it. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, lost it in a good way, Tony, not lost in a bad way. Though. Oh, well, how does that? Tell me how that works then. Well, he got granted 100% and the money beat the bank, beat the letter to his house. So the money was deposited in his account. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So he, he was... Getting some money that was due to him. Yeah, he was defeatist. I mean, he didn't think it was ever going to go anywhere. And ultimately, it turned around for him. Yes, sir. And he's probably got a much better viewpoint now than he did. Oh, yeah. Uh, Those guys from Vietnam took a real raw deal out of that, though. The the public perception that when they came back, how they were treated, I'm hoping that we don't run into those same kinds of issues, and I'm hoping we learned a lesson from that situation, that it doesn't happen again to any of our guys coming back from – Afghanistan this time. What happened with this withdrawal has nothing to do with their performance over there whatsoever. No. Uh, that place was totally under control uh, to the point where we were having very few outbreaks of any violence or anything. And I'm getting political at this point, I know, but long and the short of it is is that they have no responsibility to bear for what happened on the withdrawal aspects of this. And... Um, yeah, that's where I guess we get the let's go Brandon comments from or something. Uh, but the long and the short of it is is that I'm hoping our general population doesn't 
somehow misperceived that they had anything to do with that. I don't think they do, based on what we're seeing with recent poll numbers from what's coming out of Washington. It seems like the blame's resting solely with where it needs to be laid and the orders that were given for purposes of the withdrawal. Vietnam was a completely different situation. A lot of those guys didn't even want to be over there to begin with, probably shouldn't have been over there to begin with. Some will argue we shouldn't have been in this. But again, these soldiers, they had no one. They didn't request to go. They got sent. And I don't believe there are many people that think we should stay there forever. It's just how the withdrawal was executed. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. So hopefully they won't be dealing with some of those same issues that the Veterans Association had to deal with or the veterans that came back from Vietnam. Those poor guys, the minute they got off the airplane, were getting spit on by people at the airports. That didn't happen this time. Um, And so, but as a mentor, you're not acting as a legal advocate at all at that point, are you? No, no. Oh, we have a caller. Go ahead, caller. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a question about homeless veterans I've seen on street corners before, and actually have talked to some of them, and I'm curious. I know this sense that uh, your guest, uh, you know, uh, his main concern, but it, it is troubling to see these, these people that served our country with their stories why they can't get help from the Veterans Administration, and they li- literally live on the street. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to answer to prevent it and what can be done to help the ones that are out there well i'd love to answer that question and this is a i'm not going to generalize but many of the facilities that the veterans administration offers as well as private facilities require that they're clean and sober and that's one of the biggest what i'm hearing for people that are on the street that they can't stay clean and or sober and the facilities won't let them stay if they're using or drinking um and and quite frankly you know if they say they're a veteran, you don't know if they are or not. I'm not disparaging someone's integrity, but uh, if they are a veteran and they can stay clean and sober, hopefully they can get into some kind of rehab or some kind of the domiciliary over in St. Pete Bay Pines, places like that. Yeah, if they will actually get into one of those type of treatment facilities, and if, if they are a bona fide veteran, that's the issue. you got some of these guys say they're veterans. Well, maybe they were dishonorably discharged. They're not going to qualify for a lot of things either. If they were honorably discharged or received a general discharge, they would have the ability to get much more help than they get. But some of them don't want the help either. Um, some of the people that we see in a homeless situation, they, th- they I hate to use the word thrive, but that's, that is their area where they can live. They may not be able to live in a more normal environment. Uh, but then the other aspect of that is, as Jim said, they cannot get into uh, getting more help or into some of these other like halfway house type facilities unless they're clean and sober. That becomes a chicken and the egg argument, which comes first. It, they, we may need to try to somehow facilitate the creation of a halfway house that gets them clean and sober to transition them into a, a better place. Right now, that doesn't really exist, I don't think, does it, Jim? No, it breaks my heart because you think about it, some of these people that are self-medicating. You know, back in World War II, he used to call it shell shock. and there were, PTSD wasn't around for many years. And right. what people like my grandfather, you know, drank. He self-medicated, yeah. you know. Yeah, they drank a lot instead of necessarily hitting drugs. Drugs became a bigger issue mainly after Vietnam, I think. 
and I'll talk a little bit more about that after the break in a few minutes, but some of that occurred because of Vietnam and what they came into contact with in Vietnam. World War II, drugs was not even an issue at that point. Drinking may have been an issue, but drugs was not that big of an issue. Again, you've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM, and we'll go into more after the break. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. I've got special guest with me, Jim Headley, today. Jim, what's your contact information? Headley Law, 1906 South Florida Avenue, 863-904-5520. During the break, we had a caller. Go ahead, caller. Yes, how are you doing? Good. Good. I'm a Vietnam veteran, combat veteran, 5th Mechanized Infantry, and I made it back without getting wounded or had some close ones, but never got hit, luckily. Well, that oh. is, that's fantastic. We're both glad to hear that. Thank you for your service, sir. Yes. Now, a lot of veterans, they do get wounded. They get, you know, they get pretty good benefits. Now, veterans who put in their time and, you know, never did have an injury, um, they still go to the VA, and I've been to the VA for checkups and stuff. And every once in a while, I do get a bill for something. Well, you know, it's uh, important. It's service-connected compensation doesn't always have to deal with injury. Like I know, uh, men and women of your time period were exposed to something called Agent Orange, and there's a lot of presumptive conditions that can be basically tied back to Agent Orange exposure. You know, colorectal cancers, diabetes. Uh, heart conditions, so you don't necessarily have to be injured in combat for service-connected, sir. Well, that's true. I lost my hearing pretty bad, and I do have a, a prostate cancer, and I was exposed to Agent Orange. I've denied anything for the prostate cancer, but I did get uh, my hearing aid. Give me a call. Little, yeah, I'd, Jim may be able to help you get past that as give me it relates to the prostate cancer. Okay. I'd be happy to help you, and I don't charge for it, sir. Yeah, okay. Now, one thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see veterans that put their time in have a bonus on their Social Security. I've been trying to work on that, and no luck yet. Um, I will tell you that if you get diagnosed, and I think Jim can tell you this too, if you get diagnosed to where it is connected in some way on the cancer part, you're going to get a, a bigger check every month. Yes, sir. I mean, if you have a hearing loss, there's uh, surface clay for hearing loss, right, 10% rating, where if you have colorectal cancers or uh, type 2 diabetes, certain that if you just Google presumptive Agent Orange Disabilities Veterans Administration, there's a whole list that the VA has to take as, as possible causations. Right. I did go through several tests, and uh, since I'm not on a colostomy bag or don't wear diapers or anything like that, and, I, you know, they denied my... Uh, well, come in and see me. Call my office, come in and see me. We're not on the air talking about your impairments, but come yeah. in and see me. I'd love to help you. Yeah, because Jim may be able to help you get through a process that would actually get you some extra benefits. All right. Appreciate it. That was a great call there, too, because that's from somebody that has experienced a negativity within the VA that used to be almost the norm. Uh, it has seemed to be shifting, at least, over time. But a lot of the original VA position, and I'm talking about from Vietnam veterans all the way up until maybe 10 or 12 years ago, and it may have even gone further than that, 
the initial position for the VA was deny, deny, deny. Am I right? We used to say that the ten fingers of the hand, eight of them, eight of the VA employees didn't have a clue. One of them had a clue but could care less, and you find that one out of ten that knew and cared. Yeah, which means you were going to get denied initially, and you had to go through a process then to appeal that denial. It could take months or even years. That's true. Um, I, I will give you a very specific case of a friend of mine who's now in his 80s who did four tours in Vietnam. Uh, I don't know if you ever met him or not, Jim, but it's an attorney that worked for me for a period of time back in the uh, 2000s. And, I mean, this guy went through some serious combat issues over there, was exposed to Agent Orange while he was in Vietnam. He was in some areas that we weren't even supposed to be in in Vietnam. Allegedly. Allegedly. And so uh, long and the short of it is is that uh, he has – developed a condition later on. I'm not going to go into a lot of specifics because I don't want to get this tied up on those kind of things. Uh, But it is a disorder that is affiliated with a very famous person that used to play for the New York Yankees. And I think it's one of the conditions that is listed on the enumerated list. And as a result of that, he ended up getting a huge increase in his monthly stipend that he gets paid as part of his service-related uh, disconnected retirement system. And getting up to 100% P&T permanent total with the VA, there's so many benefits, whether it's a, a tag for your car, you, yep. every two years is 70 bucks, you don't pay ad valorem property taxes. I mean, oh, a yeah. lot of things, it's not just the money. Right, well, it, it it's right. It's not just the monthly money, it's the overall money out of it, and then there's other benefits that you get out and of it. And now civilian dentists, they're actually sending 100% P&T veterans. I know I am one, and I'm, I have a civilian dentist working on my teeth. It's really Perfect. awesome. Well, and that's the way it should be. Because your connected disability or your disability is connected to the service, why would we not take care of those folks at this point? And you're really dissuading people in the future from becoming into the military if you don't take care of their issues. Uh, And they don't get paid a lot when they're there to begin with. Having had a son that served in the United States Army, uh, he's now doing his National Guard duty, and I think he's finishing up on Halloween weekend for his National Guard duty. I think he's done with the military at this point. He's about had a, He feels like he's done his part. I had a brother that did six years in the Florida National Guard. All of them, and I'll tell you, those National Guard people are from back at that time period, they're not actually even getting any of the VA-type benefits. It didn't get kicked in for them. Shameful. Um, but the long and the short of it is, it, having experienced it firsthand and seen it, um, those folks – need to be given something on the backside because they didn't get paid much to begin with on the front side. And it actually, we can say all day long, well, their employers are not supposed to punish them for being in those positions if they're especially in the guard. Okay, that's just hogwash. Okay, they are getting punished by the employers because a lot of them will not promote them, may not even hire them to begin with. I can tell you there's a local law enforcement agency around here that refused to hire my son because of his having to go deploy in the guard. And he looked at me and said, just hold the position. I'll take it when I get back. They wouldn't even do that. Now, could he have sued them over? Yes. Did it make any sense to him in the big picture? No. He just said, fine, I will never come work for you ever. And he and, never did. And speaking of suing, it's brought up a good point. It's called the Ferris Doctrine, where if you get hurt, you're active duty, you get hurt. You can't sue the, the federal government for negligence. You're Other than extra, great extraneous circumstances, the VA service committee compensation is the way to go. Right. But the VA service credit compensation 
is only one of the programs. There's also non-service-connected pension, which is need-based. Okay. And that's based on whether or not you have an ability probably to earn other income. Correct. And a lack of assets. There's a threshold. Right. You have a certain amount of money. You can't own more than one car, et cetera. But if you're... As long as you keep it under certain limits, you then would qualify to be able to get that. If you medically, you know... Now, any veteran that has concerns or issues about this, are you available to talk to them then? Anytime. You call the office. And you're able to help them with whatever processes they need to be able to go through to do to be in, able to do this? In 17 years, I've never charged a penny. Okay. And now, that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily 100% satisfaction guaranteed on what getting them a result. No, I can't guarantee that, but I can tell you the best way to probability to get through where you need to be. I'll at least give you a fair shake of what I, what I see. Yeah. And... That gives them a shot that's better than if they try to do it on their own. So many veterans give up. I mean, it's sad. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's because they just don't think the system's there for, to help them. And they don't know how how to proceed. They don't know the procedure. So what I, we enjoy the fact that we can help them guide the right yeah. paperwork in the right hands to the right people. Well, and the unfortunate part of it is there's probably nobody within the VA itself designated to help them filling out anything. Or if they are... Here's your form. Do the best you can. I may be able to help you after you filled it out. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head earlier. The VA is getting better than it was, say, 25 years ago whenever I started working within the system. Yeah, I, I can only imagine how bad it was back then. Um, at least now they've got some people that seem to care. Yes. They've got some people that will actually push the paper through to get it done. And I think a lot of that's pressure that they're getting not only from Congress and the White House, and I'm not talking about this administration, but in general. Uh, but also, they're getting a lot of pressure from the, the people that actually serve. And I believe a lot of the disparaging um, decisions or lack of help with the VA of, of, of late, back decades ago, many of those employee, Veterans Administration employees weren't even veterans. Where now, since we've had active you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, many of the v- Veterans Administration employees are active duty or have been. Well, that's good, because even though... It's okay to have civilian employees. They're not going to be able to relate to those veterans as well as a veteran possibly could. Um, it's kind of, I guess they still call it the brothers and sisters of the armed forces. Cool. And so as a result, it's better to have somebody that might be able to identify more with the problems that they've got. Uh, Jim, go ahead and give your contact information one more time. Headley Law, 1906 South Florida Avenue, Lakeland, Florida, 863-904-5520. I urge the gentleman who called earlier, please call my office. I'd love to help you. No problem. And my number, again, is 863-682, excuse me, 863-688-2389. It's been a pleasure today. I look forward to having Jim back again another time, and we'll talk about some other issues. Thanks for having me, Tony. Thank you.